All right. Anybody remember where we left off last week? Let's see if anybody remembers. Paul, what we got? Unmute. Verse 5, but you dabbled in 6. All right. Summary statement of 1 through 5. Everybody's dead. A man wrote it, more than likely. <laughs> Just the facts, Jack. It uh, it seems very, very terse um, that uh, he he doesn't consider the uh, the tragedy. He just he reads it as a setup for what we're going to be talking about on Sunday. And I get it because the the story really begins to unfold. The way that I laid out the sermon series is that the first five verses are a prologue. And then scene one is the return to Bethlehem. Now, I want everybody to do something real quick, just for the fun of it. Look at your Bible, and in the, the rest of chapter one, see how many times you can see the word return or some derivative of that. See how many you can count. While they're doing that, I just want to say that... Um... It doesn't seem wrong that maybe a woman wrote it because after all, it's it's these these two women's story and and just getting getting to those facts and, and not getting distracted by other stuff also supports that. Absolutely agree. And, and last week I think Emily we said that that I believe either Samuel or perhaps David's granddaughter, Tamar, might have uh, written <clears throat> the book of Ruth, but it, it definitely has the terse language that might indicate a male, uh, or uh, the this is not the part of the story I want to dwell on. You know, whenever we watch scary movies, we fast forward through the scary parts, because I don't like that. I, I want to see how it resolves. I want to see how everybody does well at the end and and maybe the writer is getting to that and and how many count how many did you count there's at least 12 there, there's at least 12 times that this uh this hebrew word that means uh to to go back or to uh to return to um there, there, at least 12 times it it mentions this idea. Um, the first one, of course, is in verse six. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return. And that um, that's a significant word that's used over and over. Um, it's um, it, it's a a Hebrew word that means turn, go, or bring back, and it's it, it's it sort of brings us the idea that God has visited again. He has returned. He has sent rain to water the crops. Uh, there's a barley harvest now. There's there's bread in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and so the the play on words there is that. It, it almost suggests that God is uh, over his anger. He's, he's, he's over the, uh, the hardship, and now the, uh, the bread and the rain and the barley have returned uh, to Jerusalem. But uh, we want to make sure that we, we notice that uh, as the, the story unfolds. Um, so they are leaving Moab. Uh, we remember that the journey is not all that long. It's, it's, uh, maybe several weeks, but the return journey is a great deal harder than the journey over. Why is that? No spouses. It's uphill. <laughs> Jerusalem to Jericho is almost 3000 feet of vertical drop. And uh, for them to get back from the, <clears throat> the shores of the Dead Sea, which is below sea level, to the mountains of Jerusalem, 
um, you, you thought the journey was difficult on the way, now they have to walk uphill. So in verse six, we see that uh, the reason she, um, the, that she decides to return is her motivation repentance? I don't think so. Doesn't seem so, does it? No. She just heard there's bread. I'm 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 real sure she's out of resources. You know, she is a, a foreign widow in a foreign land whose husband has died whose sons have died, and what she has left is two Moabite women, and her recommendation is that they head on back to uh, their mother's house. So the, the reason is there in verse 6, she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So in a way, I think repentance is involved because now all of a sudden that word return, right? The rain has returned. The, 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 the grass of the pride lands is, is finally growing again. And, and, and there's a, a, a visitation by God. He has remembered his people. The rain has returned. The Lord has returned. Uh, God is, is ready again to bless his people and I'm, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just making this up, but I, I can almost imagine Ruth going, well, I remember those times. I, I remember the times when we worshiped and we, when we went to, uh, to offer sacrifices and when, when the, 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 we, we felt like God was in his place. We, I remember those times. And so, while I don't know that her original intent was repentance, I don't rule it out. I, I think it's reminiscence or sentimentality. She she knows that she's missing something that she used to have. And now she makes plans to return. <clears throat> Verse seven, there's a, a kind of a cool thing that happens between verse six and seven. And Emily, I bet you picked up on it when you were reading this. She had this, this memory that things were better in Israel. She has this, this sentimental uh, memory that God took care, that God was good. So she makes up her mind. She's sitting there in the fields of Moab, and she says, I think I should go back to Israel. I think I should go back to Bethlehem. But she doesn't just think about it. Verse 7 says, so she did. And one of the writers that I read this week says that that alone separates her from a whole lot of people that have a sentimental thought that they'll return to God and never do anything about it. So she has this thought that, that, that I, 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 there was a better time. There was a better place. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to, there it is again, return to the land of Judah. Now, in my mind, I don't think they had gotten very far. I think they had kind of finished packing up the house. I think they had, had closed down whatever business they had in Moab. And now they had walked out to the main road or the main street. Maybe it was a mile or two. Um, one writer says maybe it was four steps. Uh, and, and then that writer went on to say, and it took about four steps going the other direction for Orpah to forget Naomi and everything that they'd ever done. But we see here, she says to her daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. Now, if you look over at chapter 2, verse 11, we see a clue that Ruth's parents are still alive. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11, 
when Boaz is speaking, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me how you left your father and mother. So in Naomi's report of this, she has made up her mind. She's going back. But Ruth still has both of her parents alive in Moab. And so the thing that would have made the most sense to everybody is that they would go and return. And then she blesses them. She says in verse uh, eight, may the Lord deal kindly. Do you remember last week we talked about a Hebrew word for God's unfailing love? Hesed. Okay, deal kindly. If you circle that, that is the Hebrew word chesed. So deal kindly. May the Lord show favor. May the Lord shower you with his unfailing love. Uh, may the Lord uh, bless you. You have dealt with the dead and with me. So apparently there has been uh, a lot of respect in the death of her husband and her sons, the daughters-in-law, uh, while they could have left. We don't know how long it's been since Malin and Chilean died, but uh, we know that, that Naomi has been in Moab now for a decade. So she says, the Lord grant that you may find rest. And again, um, you might have remembered a sermon series that we did not too long ago where we talked about Sabbath rest and eternal rest and, and that the, the imagery of God as that of a good shepherd is that, that when the shepherd lays across the, the door of the sheepfold, that the sheep can rest. They, they don't have to fear. They don't have to, to be troubled. They don't have to be anxious. And so the, the Naomi is trying to give a blessing to these daughters-in-law to say, may you no longer be troubled by death. May you no longer be troubled by the hard work that we have to glean in the fields to eke out an existence here. May you find rest in the arms of your mother. May you find security in the arms of your father. Interestingly, she says in verse... Um, eight, go return to your mother's house. And then she gives a little bit of an alternative. May you find rest in the house of her husband. So he's, he, he's, he's giving sort of a twofold command. One, may you be loved on and hugged on as only a mother can. But then she is beginning to suggest that leveret marriage is the logical next step for these girls. Now, everybody remember what leveret marriage is? It was no. apparently common across cultures. Uh, somebody want to give a brief uh, synopsis of what it is? What's that word again? Leveret. Leveret marriage. Levi rate. L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E. It uh, it it was a originally sort of a, a priestly command, but it was common across cultures. It would have been uh, a it would have been the way of things in Moab as well as in Israel. To marry the brother would marry them. So okay, somebody in the family married. marries the widow. And then what is the purpose of that? To keep the land in the family. Okay, Only because it provides. Inherit. So go ahead. Only men could inherit. And so if a, if a, if a man, if a, uh, sorry, if a woman was left as a widow without a male heir, it was incumbent <clears throat> upon another man in the family to help her conceive a male heir so that the the land could continue to be held by the family. Do we have any examples of that in the scripture that come to mind? We will in a couple of more chapters. <laughs> Judah and Tamar. Judah and Tamar. Yeah. 
exactly. And, and that wasn't, uh, that was uh, a, a case where a kinsman redeemer would be the, the label for the, 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 the brother, or in some cases, the father, uh, but mostly the, the brother of uh, the, uh, the one who died would be responsible for producing an heir for his brother. And uh, he would inherit the, the brother's widow. He would inherit all the brother's holdings, but, but he would give an heir to carry on the brother's name. And, and I mean, you also, be, go ahead. Uh, so you also have a reference to it uh, in the New Testament where Jesus is tested by the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, as they try to trip him up. Yeah, they give him a silly little riddle about in the resurrection, if this brother dies and then this brother's die and this, this brother died, if all seven brothers die, then whose wife is she? And Jesus said, y'all are just being silly. Uh, there's, there's, there's no such thing as worrying about marriage in the resurrection. You got other things to worship. So the, <clears throat> that's going to be a theme over the next few verses. So stay with me. She kissed them. They lifted up their voices and they wept. So got to the moment of truth. She kissed them goodbye. They weren't ready to leave. Naomi said, turn back. That's that same word, but it's used in a different way. Turn back. Why will you go with me? And here she suggests leveret marriage. You know, it's, it's really interesting because it's unclear in Ruth that her husband, Elimelech, there's nothing that suggests that she's going back to find one of his brothers. Because one of his brothers should ostensibly marry her. Uh, you know, they've only been there 10 years. Uh, she was probably a fairly young woman when they left. Uh, she had no children. Uh, well, she had the two uh, boys, and we don't know how old they were. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that Ruth may have been eligible for, that Naomi may have been eligible for a leveret marriage. But the scripture is silent on whether or not Elimelech had any brothers. So apparently she considers herself too old to have children. She thinks that her, her womb is closed. She, she gives the rhetorical, have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? In other words, I, I can't, I don't have any more sons. There, there are no brothers that, uh, that would be able to marry you. And so she says, uh, I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear their sons, would you wait 20 years until they're grown? And so this is a sort of a rhetorical, nonsense, circular kind of thing that Naomi is trying to exercise to get these uh, uh, daughters to go on back to their mother and father. Then um, she uses a word that she's going to use again in a little bit in uh, verse 13. Know my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord <clears throat> has gone out against me. Um, over in uh, verse 20, we'll get to it in a minute, but. Look over at verse 20. When she arrived back in Bethlehem, they said, isn't this Naomi? And what did she say? Call me Mara. Which means? Bitter. Bitter. So, so she's beginning to acknowledge that there's a lot of bitterness in her spirit. She's uh, maybe bitter towards the Lord, bitter towards her circumstances. She, uh, she's not a happy camper, and uh, she says, the Lord has gone out against me. The Lord has left me. I, I have, maybe she's ready to admit that she uh, maybe had a role in the departure from Birmingham, from uh, Bethlehem, Birmingham, whatever, house <laughs> of bread, house of tide. Uh, if she had a, um, 
uh, a, a bitter spirit about her. If, if she maybe was complaining and, and urging her husband, Elimelech, to go find us some food, uh, maybe she was the one that urged her sons to marry Moabite women. Maybe she's beginning to see that 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 a lot of decisions have been made that do not embrace the ways of Yahweh. So then Orpah buys it. She says, <clears throat> okay, I'm out of here. As we said last week, we never hear about Orpah again, although the rabbinical tradition is that Orpah went on back and eventually was the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, mother to Goliath and his four brothers, but that's just speculation that I don't put much stock in. <clears throat> then Naomi turns to Ruth, verse 15. See, your sister-in-law has gone back, that's the word return again, to her people and to her gods. Okay, we, we, now we enter the, the spiritual aspect of this. Now we we jump into the, the 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 part where Naomi has acknowledged that the Lord has gone away from her. She she doesn't feel his presence. She she feels like whether she blames herself or circumstances, she doesn't feel like the Lord is with her. And she doesn't have enough faith at this point to say to Ruth, my God will look after you. Go back to your own gods. Go back to your own people. Return with your sister-in-law. Alan, if there's a turning point in the entire book, it begins in verse 16. Yep. If there's a, a place where you really see, um, Emily, in your words, this is when all the doom and gloom gives way to promise. It, it gives way to a, a sense of future, a sense of hope. So Ruth says, do not, and that's grammatically an imperative, don't you even, you stop right there, shut your mouth, woman, don't even suggest. It's a strong, strong phrase. Do not urge me to leave you or to return, there's the word again, from following you, and here's the 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 vow where you go I go where you lodge I lodge where your people shall be my people your God shall be my God back to verse uh 15 when Naomi says your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods do you see that it's a it's not a capital G? So it's a pagan reference. It's a it's a generic, powerless, personless. But when Ruth answers her, when Ruth answers with the benediction, your people shall be my people, your God shall be my God. That's the Hebrew word Yahweh. That's that's the um well, that's actually the Hebrew word Elohim. And then uh, in verse 17, she uses the word Yahweh when she says, may the Lord do so to me. So all of a sudden, Naomi is suggesting that she returns to impersonal gods, powerless gods. We we could spend a lot of time, and Alan, you probably did in your study, uh, the, the, the Moabites worshiped the god Chemosh. Um, who was perhaps synonymous with Molech, uh, bloodthirsty God. Um, Second Kings, there's a reference to uh, a Moabite king who, who burns his own son in the fire as a sacrifice to try to appease Molech or, or Chemosh. And there's a lot more uh, in the literature about uh, the nature of this God perhaps somehow related to the uh, the Ashtaroth or the, uh, the, the pagan worship that the Israelites would occasionally uh, participate in. But Ruth was having none of that. It, it, it strikes me that Ruth 
learned something about Yahweh being in that family and it connected for her and she was like yeah no I don't that's not what I want and and this is what really connects for me yeah I, Emily I've been there you know when 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 I'm feeling sorry for myself and I'm bitter and somebody that has sat under my teaching or or a friend, they've said, Alan, where's this God you've been telling everybody else about? Why is it that in your time of, of hardship that you can't trust the God that you've been telling all of us about all these years? And, and I agree with you, Emily. I think that, that Ruth has been hearing about Yahweh about Elohim, Adonai. I think she's heard about him from uh, Naomi. I think Naomi has has been speaking words of promise. God will send rain. God will send food. God will send a husband. God will send a redeemer. God will send deliverance. She's heard all this, and Ruth has, has grabbed onto that hope. It's such an encouraging word that it's not about the attitude of the messenger. It's about the power of the message. And, and that the and love. She says, Go ahead. And, she, and she says that at the time, as she's been listening to Naomi talking about God has afflicted her and God, you know, God doesn't essentially saying God's forgotten me and is, is beaten up on me here. But now all of a sudden, Ruth says, you said that God would send rain and he has sent rain to Bethlehem. The famine is over. We are returning to your, you're returning to your God because you are out of hope in Moab. You're bitter. You're, and, and something in you is saying it is worth an old woman going an uphill journey to get back to the place where you knew that your God would take care of you. That's the kind of God I'm interested in. And, and that's about the community absolutely. and the connection that they had that yes. Naomi had taught that to Ruth, maybe not directly, but by example. And then Ruth was then being able to, to return that to Naomi. Yeah. And that's, that's such a powerful part of their connection. It's so, so powerful. And I, I don't mean to discourage weddings, but we almost cheapen it when when we use that as a wedding benediction, because it was it was a much more powerful statement that a foreigner was attaching to a woman who had showed her compassion. And now Ruth's heart is broken over the idea that Naomi would return to Bethlehem as a bitter, defeated woman. And it was almost like God prompted her to remind Naomi that somebody preached to the preacher and reminded that, hey, God is in this. You said he'd send rain. He did. Then she says, did you want to say something? Yes. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, um, Ruth probably saw the sovereignty of God in Naomi. So without even expressing that, she wanted to be a part of that. You know, when we taste it, you know, when we've tasted revival, when we've, when Alan, the story that you told about the water well in Liberia, when when you guys are digging and digging and digging in one corner of the field and all you find is mud, you gather up in a circle of prayer and all of a sudden somebody says, well, there's an old one in the other corner of the field, but nobody's thought about it in years. I mean, what does that do to your spirit? Whenever we see God, we want more. And I, I think that Ruth saw enough evidence that 
Naomi's God was legit compared to a God that demanded child sacrifice. And, and she saw the clarity of it. So she says, um, may the Lord do so to me. May, may the Lord strike me dead. She says, where you die, I will die. And, and there's a, a, a phrase that you almost want to drive by. Do you remember what Joseph made his brothers promise about his bones? They'd be taken out and returned to their land. Do you remember where Abraham insisted on being buried? With Sarah? It's a yeah. Hebron. Yeah. And, and a lot of times in the ancient world, the burial place is sacred. You, you, you're buried in the land of your fathers. So when Ruth says she's, she's turning away from her mother, her father, her homeland, her gods, and her burial place. Where you go, I go. Where you will be buried, I will be buried. That is as complete a conversion to a new way of life as I've ever read anywhere. Uh, one writer says that the faithfulness of Abraham pales in comparison to this statement right here. And, and so even the burial place is, is going to be uh, forsaken. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go, there's the understatement of the Bible. Uh, I, I would say that she was pretty determined. Where you go, I'll go. Where you die, I'll die. Where you worship, I'll worship. Where you'll bear. She was determined. And so Naomi said no more. All right. Verse 19. Any any other cleanup of uh, the first uh, 12 verses there? Alan, one thing that jumped out at me in my study this afternoon was... Um, <clears throat> that Naomi participated in a series of decisions that took her away from God in some regards. Um, the first one is that God provided the promised land, and yet Naomi and her husband chose to leave it. Now, the, the text gives us a reason for it, but they still left the land that God provided for them. Um, Another one is in Deuteronomy 7, the text is very specific. You shall not intermarry these pagan tribes around you. You will not allow your sons to marry their daughters, and you will not give your daughters to their sons. And Naomi and her husband did that too. Um, and then I guess sort of the last observation was that Naomi repeatedly said, God's hand is against me. God is against me. God... Um, uh, does not see us. And I, I just wonder whether there's some consequences for some of these choices. I, I don't spend a lot of time on it in the sermon, but because I'm looking at the idea of faithfulness in the Sunday morning message, um, I had to I had to concede that Ruth was faithful where Naomi wasn't. But how much of Naomi's choice, how much of a choice did she have? I mean, if her husband was going, had decided to go, generally, certainly in that society, she couldn't have said, oh, no, I don't think, I don't think so. I'll just stay here. That, I agree with you. I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, so, so I'm not sure how much of a choice she had in the leaving Leaving Israel, but he left Israel to start with. Isn't Ruth being equally as disobedient? I mean, in the sense of Naomi telling her, like, hey, you know, you're staying here. I mean, I get that. I guess stay, go back. Right. Um, so she's been equally disobedient, but, but then clinging, you know, to, to Naomi and to, and to God, that, right, that she's experienced. I think this is amazing, Mike, because 
on Ruth's part because he's never seen Israel. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're leaving empty handed. It's all on faith of a promise. There's, there's nothing tangible in this for her at this point in time. Nancy, did you have something you wanted to add? Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, we're all sort of saying that. Anyway, I don't see why we don't also see that Naomi realizes that God's behind all this. God's in control. I mean, is that a bad thing? We're going to we're going to see that even more in just a few verses. Yeah. Um, up ahead. Where she. Um, she acknowledges that these were poor decisions that her family made. Yeah. And um, Emily, to her credit, she didn't throw her husband under the bus. But I, I don't disagree with you that e even if you were to picture Naomi as a, a bit of a nagging wife, if if her husband didn't want to leave Israel, they would not have left Israel. Right. And 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 we we didn't make much over the symbolism of crossing back over the Jordan River. You remember that to cross the Jordan River from east to west at Jericho and to leave a pile of stones at Gilgal is a representation that God allowed us to, to cross over this Jordan and enter into a land of promise. To cross back over the Jordan is to leave that land of promise. And, uh, and now they start the journey back. <clears throat> and in 19, it simply says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Now, Emily, I want your creative imagination here. What do you reckon they talked about? Pretty long journey for two women. Dangerous journey. The Lord obviously protected them. The Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan where they were on the Jericho road from Jerusalem. Well, these ladies are about to walk up that road. What do you suppose they talked about forever how long it took them to make this journey? I, I think they took comfort in each other's company. And they, I don't know that they necessarily talked about future things, but they talked about um things that they saw along the way and, and were enjoying those things. I, that's how I think about it when I, in fact, I'm about to go on a trip with a, a good friend uh, next week. So, and, and that's what we do. We, we're quiet together and we also notice things and talk about them. I'm wondering if she, if they talked much at all. I'm wondering if she wasn't so burdened by the uh, bitterness that she felt that she just didn't have words. I mean, in the, almost in the same way, I wonder, what did Abraham and Isaac talk about when they were on his way to sacrifice his son? Uh, so I'm going to speculate a little bit. Yep. Anybody ever bring home a friend from college? You remember back in college when, when, when there was a break, a Christmas break, a Thanksgiving break, and and, and somebody somehow ended up, they didn't have any place to go. And you said, hey, come in the car with me. Uh, the closer you get to home, the more the memories of the good times, the way that God was faithful, you, I, you, you, you're going to have to eat my mom's cheesecake. You just, when we get home, when we get back to, we used to, we used to stay here. This is what we used to do. And, and, and this is what used to happen. And I, I'm guessing that the closer they got to Bethlehem, the more Ruth heard Naomi being reminded that she was returning to the faithfulness of Yahweh. Now, I don't know that for sure. And Ruth I know may that. have facilitated that by asking, well, tell me about this. Oh, you know, what does she... it look like? I mean, I, I think that that's part of Ruth's strength of bringing that out in Naomi. Yeah. Tell me more about this God that I'm pledging my life to. So I, I'm guessing that Naomi is starting to soften a little bit because when she gets to town, and it's a small town. 
you know, I don't know how many people Bethlehem had then, 100, 200. It, 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 it wouldn't have been large. So the fact that she'd been gone a decade and, and probably a hard 10 years and, and her appearance was obviously different, they said, is this Naomi? She said, don't call me that. Call me bitter for the almighty. What is What word is used in your translations in verse 20? For the almighty. Almighty. Shaddai. Huh? Shaddai. So it's it's a word that's that's talking about his sovereignty, his power, his omnipotence. And probably so so she is is once again acknowledging him. When she left Moab, she says, the Lord's forgotten me. And now she calls him omnipotent. Sadai. I went away full. The Lord brought me back empty. Who brought you back? Yahweh. Yahweh brought me back. I, I we, it, we go from verse 6 saying that she decided to return to uh, verse 21, where she acknowledges that the Lord brought me back. Now, she says he brought me back empty, but she says he brought me back. It's Yahweh. It's the that's the personal name for God. That's the that's the the one that you turn to in prayer. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Most scholars and and Alan, you can help me out here. Most of what I read about this is that she is not just um, sort of venting. She is making a public statement of repentance. That she's she's owning, I went away full, the Lord brought me back. Why call me pleasant, Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has brought calamity upon me. You, you get a real honest confession here. And you get the sense that that she's back in town. She's trying to say to the community, it didn't go well. I, I didn't have a good 10 years. You may notice Elimelech's not with me. Mylon, Chilion, they're, they're both gone. The, the, I, I lost everything. I lost husband. I lost uh, uh, son. I lost material possessions. And then I can almost imagine one of the women saying, and who is this lovely young lady? <laughs> and Naomi That's saying, true. I lost everything, but maybe I found a treasure in Moab. Maybe I, I found something in Moab. But her honesty before the Lord, uh, it, it, it feels like that the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. There's a almost a pause there when you expect her to say, because now you can all say, I told you so. Now all of you can say, I told you so. Because everything you predicted, don't leave the promised land. Don't leave this. Don't leave this. So verse 22, Naomi returned, Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The, the student Bible talks about Ruth taking, it has a little blurb about Ruth taking the risk at a time when, when she may have been fearful that she'd be treated as a despised foreigner. And then it goes on to say the story of love and loyalty took place during the time of the judges when murder, immorality, and general anarchy prevailed. So, again, as you said earlier, the, the courage and the faith that it took to go yeah, I'm not staying here. This is where I'm going, and I'm just going to trust. I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to trust it. 
it's interesting to me um, and kind of in closing as as pastors we've met a lot of people who were caught up in generational sin who are in families where one generation after the next and and sometimes oftentimes characterized with abuse or addiction or uh, jail, uh, incarceration, that, that one generation after another just seems to be caught up in this. And if we look really closely at this end of chapter one, we see that Ruth decided she was going to reverse the curse. Ruth, Ruth did some things that are observable where she says, I have in my spirit a sense that Naomi's God is where I want to go. And, and I am not going to be caught up in the curse of Moab to worship Molech, Shemarash, Shemash. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get caught up in that because I have tasted something different. And so we see that she is absolutely determined to break the curse. She's, she's, she's not going to be, uh, pardon my supposition, I, I'm not going to get back in the rut that Orpah's heading for. I, I'm not going there. And, and we see that, that to break the curse, there is just a, a raw determination. Um, secondly, she publicly renounced everything that held her back, her, her God, her family. She, she renounced her life. She left the, the grip of whatever it was that the Moabite culture had on her. Third, she said, I'm changing my name. I'm changing my family. I am leaving my mother and father, and my pedigree is going to be that of Naomi and her God. She exchanged a past, and it would have been real easy. Orpah eventually did it. It would have been real easy just to be back in the, the place where she was and then just ignore the work that was going to take. And then... The last thing, she, she shows us the power of confession, the power of that public uh, declaration. We, we recite her declaration here thousands of years later because of the power of breaking the curse. No longer will I stay in Moab. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. Where you eat, I will eat. We are the family now. My, my previous pedigree is null. My previous pedigree is renounced. And all of the people I know who have said, my father's an alcoholic, my grandfather's an alcoholic, I'm going to do whatever it takes where I don't present my children an alcoholic father. I'm going to do whatever it takes to break this cycle of hatred, to break this cycle of poverty, to break this cycle of godlessness. And I, I know of so many of the students in student ministry who come to church without their families, and they have made up their mind that they're going to break the generational cycle of apathy towards the community of faith and they're going to get involved in something because they have tasted what it is to worship a living, active, spirit-filled, earth-shaking, fire-breathing, flood-sending, redemptive God. And it's only in chapter two and three that we're really going to understand how that unfolds. But as we said last week, this is one of the greatest short stories that's ever been written. And, and, and right now, 
we are beginning to see the development of those characters. And there is an irresistible God who's drawing these women back to Bethlehem for the blessing that he has in mind for them. And, and I don't want to miss that Ruth made a very conscious effort to break the generational cycle, to break the curse that had been her lot in life. Um, pardon the pun, I guess Lot was one of her ancestors. Hmm. All right, Alan, what else you got? Still working on my conclusions for Sunday, but um, I, I didn't I didn't address this in the sermon. I don't think I will, but you know, in some ways, Naomi's return feels a little tiny bit prodigal. You know, this daughter left the community with her husband, went to a far off land, um, lived away from where God intended, um, allowed some things into her home that God did not intend, um, and left with nothing, had to go home. Um, and yet God redeemed that situation primarily through Ruth's faithfulness. Um, Ruth is the model of um, faithfulness, even even in the midst of doubt and uncertainty and not knowing what God is doing. Because um, that's what real faithfulness looks like, right? You, you, choose, you choose a series of actions and a way of thinking and being without knowing how it's going to turn out because it's after God's heart. And God Absolutely. uses that faithfulness to bless others even when they don't see how he's working. My goodness. That's, kind of, that's kind of the direction for Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. Um, George, I will have my Bible and my notebook ready to take notes from Alan on Sunday morning, and I'm glad to show them to you after I do. Well, you want me to show you mine? <laughs> I have seen the way you this take is, notes, this George. This is one of the Allens right here. Wow. Yeah, we'll leave some blank pages. He's going to He's going to shuck some corn for us on Sunday morning. Here's the for Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. All right. Well, thank you all for praying for us. The The back-to-back -back funerals are going to push us a little bit. Um, and uh, that's Saturday. And um, we've tried to put them fairly close together for any of you that are in both of those uh, circles. But uh, it sure is good to see everybody on screen. It, it's so delightful that um, if I'm away and, and my master's students here at Howard Payne University would, would tell all of you hello. Uh, they are, uh, are wonderful. It's so promising to see uh, young men who are studying the craft of preaching and who are uh, going to just light it up for God. And so... Uh, be assured that there are some very bright, bright parts in the future. So I will see you guys on either Saturday or Sunday. And uh, Alan, know that we're going to be praying for you as you continue your prep. Yes. All right. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night.